to the audio messages for A Guide Through Suffering for the Sufferer by Brooke Lee. This is the first message after the first chapter entitled Break Down to Be Restored. Well, I want to start off by telling you a story about a girl and her car. So the girl in my story is my sister. She's four years older than me. And the best way that I can describe my sister is that she is a total free spirit. And to give you kind of a picture of this, I thought I'd share a couple of stories with you. So I remember back when she was in college and she came home for one of her breaks and I was looking at one of her shirts and it looked like it had been just kind of cut with scissors. And I thought to myself, surely she didn't just, you know, cut her shirt how she wanted it. And so I asked her, I said, Lauren, what happened to your shirt? It looks like it's been cut. And she said, oh yeah, this is the new style. If there's a shirt that that, you know, doesn't fit quite right, or I want it to look a different way, I just cut it. And I'm like, well, do you eventually sew it or anything? And she's like, no, I just kind of go with it. And that's how it is. (laughs) So that's one story to kind of paint her free spirited nature. The other story that I always think of is when she was in high school, her and her best friend, one of their favorite things to do on like a Friday or Saturday night, her friend lived in this gated community that had a clubhouse. And so if they were ever driving by and saw that there was a wedding going on, my sister and her friend would actually crash the wedding. They would like go into the wedding and try to see who could make as many friends before the wedding was over, before they decided they wanted to leave the party. My sister also went to college in Hawaii, and I'm pretty sure she spent maybe, maybe 10% of her time in class. Uh, The rest of the time was spent out on the beach or hanging out with friends. And it was the perfect place for a free spirited girl to go to college was in Hawaii. So that's the girl in our story, my sister, Lauren, my free spirited sister. Now I want to tell you about the car in the story. So after getting to Hawaii, my sister and her roommate decided that they needed a car. And so they searched around. And since they were in college, they really couldn't afford all that much. They actually couldn't really afford a car. Um, but they ended up finding this car for a couple hundred bucks. Okay, so that should probably tell you a little bit about the state this car was in. The car was a total beater. Well, one day while talking to my sister on the phone, this was back when you couldn't talk on cell phones and drive. I was talking with her and she was driving and I kind of like start to hear like this commotion. And on the other end of the line, she's like, oh, no, oh, no, hang on just one sec. And I'm hearing all of these noises and all of these sounds. And so she's like, "Okay, sorry about that. She gets back on the phone. And I was like, oh, what happened? Are you okay?" And she's like, yeah, it just started to rain. And I was like, oh, well, Was that the windshield wipers? Like, what was all the sound? And she said, oh, no, there is a hole directly above the driver's seat. And when it starts to rain, I carry an umbrella with me and I just pop that umbrella open while I'm driving to, you know, prevent from getting like totally drenched by the rain. And so I'm trying to like hold back laughter. I'm like, oh, my goodness, Lauren, this is just ridiculous. Well, fast forward a couple of months and I go out to visit my sister in Hawaii and I get there and I'm so excited to see this car that I've heard so much about. And so she's like, oh yeah, I'll take you in it. So I go to open up the passenger side door and I look into the seat and on the floor where there should be the floor is a giant hole that has been covered up with a whole bunch of duct tape. My sister has just taken duct tape and tried to cover up this hole on the floor of the passenger side of this car. The radio didn't work. My sister would carry around like this portable CD player, if you remember what those were like. I mean, this car was just in the worst possible shape that it could be. And it just got worse and worse as her and her roommate drove this car all over Hawaii. 
you know, while my sister was in Hawaii from time to time, I would think about this car and I would think to myself, why doesn't she just fix some of it up? Why doesn't she just take the car in and have the roof fixed or the hole in the passenger side properly patched or maybe a new radio put in? It couldn't cost that much money. And I'm sure she was spending as much money on duct tape plus all the extra effort she was putting into just keeping the car functional. Why didn't she just save up enough money to have it properly restored? I would wonder to myself, why did she just kind of continually settle for patching this car up or limping along rather than actually fixing the car? Well, one day while thinking about her car, this thought popped into my mind kind of out of nowhere And it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. You see, I realized that those very same questions I was asking about my sister and her car could actually be asked of me and my own life. I realized that this car and the way that it had been patched up and duct taped together and was kind of limping along was actually a metaphor for how I was living parts of my life. You see, when I took an honest look at my life, I saw how I was being held together by the duct tape of, let's say, self-sufficiency. Or if there was a problem here in my life, I would kind of just patch it up with a little bit more control, a little more organization, a little more rule following. If there was a problem over there, I would just patch it up with some overachieving or busyness. And just like my sister popped up her umbrella because of that broken roof, remember, I too had makeshift contraptions like disordered eating and exercise or overworking. These unhealthy, self-reliant coping mechanisms to keep, listen to this, broken parts of my life functional. The car was a metaphor for parts of my life, and I, too, had settled for limping along. And as I thought about this, I realized that I wasn't the only one. I looked around at some of my closest friends, my family, my acquaintances, and realized there were a ton of people who were settling for a life of limping along. Something would break down in their life like a relationship or an identity or maybe their faith. And instead of dealing with it or facing it head on, what I saw a lot of people do was just pulling out their own form of duct tape. Substance abuse, overspending, sleeping around, self-harm, busyness. People were using these things, myself included, to patch up the broken pieces of their life trying to hold themselves together and settling for limping along. Or there were times when I would see the rain start to pour down on someone's life, like loss, like from loss or from panic attacks or depression or anxiety or regret or shame. And instead of dealing with that gaping hole that was causing the quote-unquote rain to drench them, they would just pop up makeshift umbrellas like staying busy or over-exercising or controlling all in order to just kind of keep going, keep limping along. Instead of truly restoring the broken places in our lives, all too often I think we settle for a life of limping along. And I wonder if you can relate to this. Can you relate to the idea of working tirelessly to hold broken pieces of your life together? Well, I think we all can relate, at least to some degree, and this begs the question, why is it that we do this? Why is it that we settle for limping along in our lives? Why is it we settle for holding ourselves together kind of haphazardly rather than seeking true restoration, true healing? 
Well, I do believe that this is at least in part due to the messages we receive from our culture. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about this. You see, our culture has a narrative when it comes to brokenness. They have things that they tell us. Maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. But our culture tells us that when we face brokenness or pain or difficulty in our lives, brokenness like depression, anxiety, insecurity, eating disorders, panic attacks, stress, pride, loss, out of control, controlling. When we face these things, these broken things in our lives, our culture tells us, first of all, number one, to cover it up. Fake it till you make it. They reinforce this idea of duct taping yourself together. Hold yourself together. Don't show any signs of weakness or breaking down. Pretend like that brokenness is not there. Pretend like everything is fine. Maybe even numb yourself if you have to. Escape the brokenness. Do whatever you've got to do to ignore the real issue or the root issue underneath it. Cover it up. Limp along. It's fine as long as you look fine on the outside. This is the first message that our culture will tell us about brokenness. The second thing our culture will tell us to do is to kind of throw it away. We live in a throwaway culture. Our culture tells us to cast aside anything that's breaking down. If it doesn't work anymore, trash it. If it's got some problems, end it. Our culture tells us that if something is broken, you can simply do away with it. And these voices, listen, of our culture are so loud. I mean, we're picking up on them from social media and from TV or when we watch a movie or a show. These voices are so loud and so influencing that we end up listening to them, sometimes subconsciously. And we end up agreeing with them. And ultimately, we end up settling for limping along because of them. And we forget, or maybe we just don't even know that there is another option, that we don't have to cover up our brokenness or throw away the thing that is broken. There is another option out there when it comes to the brokenness in our lives. And that is what I want to spend some time talking about, this third option. We're going to read about this third option in the book of Luke. It's in chapter 8, and so if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you can absolutely do that. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 43. Now, before we start reading, I want to give a little backstory as to what's going on here in this passage. So there was a woman who lived during Jesus's day, and we really don't know too much about her life. In fact, we don't even know her name. But what we do know about this woman is that for 12 years, this unnamed woman had been bleeding. We don't know the cause or what the specific medical issue was that had caused the bleeding, but what we do know is that she was not in great health. Now, during this time period, and this is important, this type of medical issue, this ongoing bleeding, actually rendered somebody unclean. And unclean was like one of the worst things for you to be in a religious community during Jesus' day. Unclean was like a bad word. What it also meant was that if she were, you know, because she was unclean, if she were to touch something or someone else, the belief was held that that thing or that person that she touched would also then be seen as unclean too. So you can imagine then, right, how this poor woman was treated for a good chunk of her life. She had been bleeding for 12 years. That was a long time. She had probably not felt the embrace or touch of another human for over a decade. She had probably spent a lot of her time alone. People were probably afraid of getting close to her. She probably lived in a great deal of fear and worry and anxiety about, you know, not passing her uncleanliness on to anybody else. Talk about brokenness, right? 
Talk about a life of limping along. Now, what's more is that not only did this woman have this medical condition and not only was she probably cut off from most, if not all, human interaction, but a lot of people during this day and age also saw this type of thing, this ongoing medical issue, as divine disfavor, meaning People believed that if someone had some ongoing difficulty that wasn't going away, that wasn't being healed or taken care of, it meant that God was punishing them for some secret sin in their life. So imagine this with me. Here this woman is dealing with, you know, the complexities of this medical issue day in and day out, probably cleaning bloody rags constantly, carefully choosing what clothes she was going to wear to mask her bleeding, probably not feeling very great most of the time, probably low energy, depressed even, maybe timing her days just right so that she wouldn't be out in public during peak times, probably deep inside longing for a friend, a hug, maybe a husband even. But that's not all. Then, on top of that, you have this relational and spiritual rejection, too. I can guarantee you that this woman was this recipient of a whole lot of the town's shame and judgment and disgrace and ridicule. I can only imagine the messages stewing around in this poor woman's mind. Broken, unclean, disgusting, disgraceful, unwanted, unloved, sinner. This woman had spent, I'm sure of it, a lot of her life limping along, probably doing whatever she could think to do to hold herself together. And then, and then, this woman, our woman, she hears about someone coming to her town. And you guys, this guy's reputation had spread like wildfire because he didn't treat people like everyone else did. You see, this guy was known as the guy who didn't throw away the throwaways or expect people to cover up their brokenness. It was shocking. People were like losing their minds over this guy. Because this guy was known as the one who embraced the outcasts, who touched the unclean, who held the broken ones together until they were whole. And so we can imagine together, right, the anticipation of our dear woman here in Luke 8 when she hears that this guy, the guy, is coming to her town. Can you imagine with me her hope Her desperation, her excitement that maybe, just maybe, even though everybody else had rejected her, even though she was told she was a throwaway, even though she had been limping along for the past 12 years of her life, maybe, just maybe, this guy would be different. And boy, was he different. We're going to pick up reading in Luke 8, verse 43, and we're going to read what happens when this guy comes to this woman's town, and what happens after. So Luke 8, verse 43, it says this, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So we just went over this, right? And this is important. We're told here that no one could heal her. So we can assume that our gal here had sought out healing before, probably for years. Let's read on, verse 44. She, the woman, came up behind him, the guy, the guy is Jesus, and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. 
Now remember, let's pause right here. This woman had it so ingrained in her head that if she were to touch anything or anyone that they too would then be unclean. So here our woman is, and she's just touched this. Jesus is basically a famous rabbi at this point. He's got a huge following at this point. People are like clued into him. He's kind of famous. This was the guy that everybody was talking about. And I'm sure she thought to herself that she could kind of just maybe slip in through the crowd, touch this guy's cloak, and then disappear, much like she had probably been doing for years. But surprise, surprise, she's called out. Jesus knows, and he asks, who touched me? And probably at this moment, terror is coursing through the veins of our woman. And now she has to decide whether or not she's going to come forward and admit that she was the one who touched Jesus, that she did the thing that she wasn't supposed to do. So what happens? Let's read on. When they all denied it, Peter, one of the disciples, one of Jesus' buddies said, Master, he's talking to Jesus here, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, Peter's saying, there's a bunch of people touching you, Jesus. Like, it's okay. There's probably a lot of people touching you. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Okay, so let's pause right here. So Jesus, when he asks who touched me, he's not asking because he didn't know. Jesus knew who this woman was. In fact, anytime you see in scripture, Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit asking a question, they're not asking to be enlightened. They are all knowing. Oftentimes when Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit ask a question, it's usually, usually an invitation. And that's exactly what I believe Jesus is doing here. Jesus was inviting this woman, our woman, into that third option of dealing with brokenness. Jesus was actually beckoning the woman out of her life of limping along and presenting her with another option. So let's keep reading. Verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Pause right here. I don't know if you need to hear this. But we have a Jesus who does not allow even one of us to go unnoticed. And this woman knew that. Seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. So what does our gal do? She comes forward. And we can definitely bet that our woman was terrified, probably afraid of being rebuked, maybe even punished by Jesus or the crowd. You know what? She actually very well could have lost her life too. For an unclean woman to touch the cloak of this famous rabbi, not to mention a man, somebody of the opposite gender, huge no-no at this time, it could have resulted in her being stoned, in her losing her life, which I think is important to mention because the courage this woman had in order to come forward, staring death and punishment and further rejection straight in the face is immeasurable. Yet still, she comes forward. And to me, this speaks of her incredible trust and belief in who this Jesus was. In all of the things she had heard about this guy, Jesus, she was trusting it. She was believing it because even though she had in her mind all of this that could happen, she still believed that Jesus could be different. So she comes forward, risking her life, possibly ruining her reputation even more. And then it says, In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him 
and how she had been instantly healed. So what does she do when she comes forward? She bears it all. She admits in front of the entire crowd that she's unclean and how she did the thing that she's been told by culture and by everybody else not to do in hopes that she would be healed. And then she tells the crowd that she was. She tells how she had been instantly healed, that it worked. And I just kind of imagine the crowd and everybody there like waiting with bated breath, looking at the woman, and then all the heads turning to look at Jesus, wondering what's he going to do? Is the rabbi going to condemn her? Is he going to punish her? How does Jesus respond? Verse 48, then he, Jesus, said to her, the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In other words, daughter, your brokenness is welcome here. Daughter, your brokenness does not render you unclean. Daughter, this ongoing difficulty that you've been experiencing does not mean you've had disfavor with me. Daughter, instead of casting you out like society and everybody has done, causing you to limp along through this life, I have restored you. You are healed. Go in peace. And this, you guys, this is the third option to the brokenness that we face in this life is Jesus's complete restoration. Look, there is not one person who does not or will not experience brokenness in this life. There are some of you right now who are experiencing unimaginable, impossible brokenness, and our culture is sending you a lot of messages of what to do with that brokenness. But Jesus says, come here, come here, break down, fall at my feet, bear it all, show me it all, and let me restore you. But there's more. What I love so much about this moment is that Jesus doesn't just heal the woman physically. Her physical health was not the only thing that was restored that day. You see, we are told that when she touches Jesus's cloak, she was instantly healed. So Jesus's power had already done the work to physically restore her. And he very well could have, knowing this, let her slip away healed. He would have done his work, work that the woman had been praying for for years. But as always is with the case with Jesus, he does more than we can ask or imagine. And so after healing her physically, when Jesus says, who touched me, he's calling her forward. Remember that question, who touched me is an invitation. Jesus wants to do more than just restore her physically. He wants to restore her fully. And so what he does is he gives her space to tell her story. And in front of her entire community, the community that had thrown her away, told her to hide herself, cover up her brokenness, that she had disfavor with God, Jesus, in front of everybody, marks her as healed. So that going forward, there can be no question that this woman is now clean. Her reputation is fully restored. Jesus makes sure that she goes forward from that day, no longer in isolation, but in fellowship with people. Jesus restores her, not just physically, but relationally. 
And then he restores her spiritually too, because if he, Jesus, the famous rabbi, the one to be known as God's son, God himself, the one who's called the Messiah, the savior, if he deems her healed, if he shows favor on her, not disfavor, then there would be no question of whether or not she had been spiritually restored too. And this is the truth, you guys. Jesus is in the business of complete, not partial, but complete restoration. Our God is a God of complete restoration. So then the question becomes, how do we access this restoration? If you don't want to limp along in areas of your life anymore, how do we access God's complete restoration? Well, I want us to go back to the car from the beginning of this message. You see, the truth is, unless the car fully broke down, my sister would just allow that car to keep limping along. And this is true of a lot of things. If we just keep patching it up and holding the broken pieces together haphazardly, if we prevent the thing from breaking down, well, then we'll assume it never needs to be restored. But if a car breaks down completely, well, then the only viable option to move forward with that car is to fix it, to restore it, to bring it back to life. You guys, it's the complete breakdown that allows for restoration. And this translates directly to us. When it comes to the brokenness we face in our lives, Jesus asks us to set aside the duct tape, to stop limping along, to stop trying to hold ourselves together. And instead, like the woman, as she came forward and she bared it all and she told her whole story, Jesus asks us to do the same, to come, to bear it all to show up with all of our junk, to fully break down so that, don't miss this, so that he, Jesus, can fully restore. If you get nothing else out of this message, I hope you get this. If we are willing to break down, we can trust that God will be faithful to restore. It may not be in our timing, It may not look the way we want it to look or expect it to look or maybe imagined it to look or even hoped it would look, but he will restore. So whatever is broken, whatever is dead, whatever is missing, hurting in your life, it is not too far gone for God to restore. Let's remember together that our God is not in the business of partial restoration He is a God of complete restoration. And so today, I want to extend an invitation to you from Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to fall at his feet, just like the woman, and bear it all. To fully break down so that he can fully restore. To end this message, I actually want to invite you right now, if you can, to get down on your knees. You know, all throughout scripture, we see some amazing things happen at the feet of Jesus. We see people throw themselves at Jesus' feet in praise and worship. We see people throw themselves at Jesus' feet in grief and despair. We see our bleeding woman fall down at Jesus' feet and bear it all and fully break down. This space here down on our knees is a sacred space. It's where so much profound spiritual work is done. 
And so what I want you to do is both in spirit and in posture to fall at Jesus's feet today and break down, to set the duct tape aside, to stop limping along and holding all the pieces together, trusting that Jesus's restoration is on the other side. Let me pray for you. And then I want you to spend as long as you need to here at the feet of Jesus, breaking down, trusting him to restore. Jesus, only you, only you have the power to fully restore the unimaginable brokenness in our lives. And so here we are, kneeling before you, desperately kneeling before you, bearing it all, setting all of our haphazard, holding ourselves together aside, breaking down and trusting and asking, pleading you to restore us. We don't want partial restoration, Jesus. We want complete restoration. And so we pray for that. We ask for that. We believe in that, and we look to you for that. Come and be here with us, Jesus, while we break down. We pray in your powerful and your restorative name. Amen.